Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live All with Kate. Today, we're talking to chef and dietitian, Julie Harrington. Julie's passion is to educate others about nutrition through food and giving them the tools they need to build confidence in the kitchen. It's her mission to help others appreciate all the delicious ways that food can be prepared. She is the creator and owner of Julie Harrington Consulting, working as a culinary nutrition consultant, spokesperson, recipe developer, educator, and culinary instructor. Julie is also the co-founder of Culinary Nutrition Studio, which provides culinary nutrition education to healthcare professionals through webinars, cooking demonstrations, hands-on workshops, and self-paced courses. She currently resides in New Jersey with her official recipe taste tester, her husband, and their corgi, Wally. In this episode, Julie tells us what simple recipes she thinks everyone should keep in their back pocket and how to do the simple things correctly for the best tasting result. We also discuss how you can add more nutrition to your meals while not compromising on the flavor or even the ingredients. If you're a novice in the kitchen or someone who loves to cook and wants to up the nutrition in your meals, this episode's for you. Welcome, Julie. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Um, I've been wanting to have another dietitian who is also a chef and has a great cooking background because those are the questions I always get on what to cook, how to cook, how can they make things healthier? So we will dive into all of the things, but thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'd love to start off, Julie, even because I'll be honest, I don't know too much about your background. I just love watching your Instagram and seeing all the things you make. Um, But if you could just tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, your career path, and how you became to not only becoming a dietitian, but combining it with cooking. Yeah. So I kind of took a different route than a typical dietitian takes to get to become a dietitian. So I went to culinary school first at Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. And I have an associate's degree in culinary arts and then a bachelor's degree in culinary nutrition. So within that course, culinary nutrition, I did all my undergrad DBD courses for nutrition, but then also applied everything that we learned in the classroom, in the kitchen. So after that, I then did my dietetic internship at the College of St. Elizabeth, which is now St. Elizabeth University, which I always have a hard time remembering. (laughs) And my first job right out of my internship was actually a retail dietitian because I knew I wanted to have that food component be part of what I'm doing day to day. So food conversation can be part of any aspect, obviously, at being a dietitian, because you're talking about food and nutrition, but I really wanted to be hands-on. So I got to do a lot of demos, grocery store tours, presentations. And then after that, I wanted a little bit more experience um, in private practice to see if I liked that. So I was at a private practice for a little while, but I was more focusing on the culinary component because they had a small kitchen. So I did a lot of cooking classes and cooking presentations there. And then during all of this, I had my own little baby blog on the side where I was just posting recipes more for fun. And also because anytime I would make something, someone would ask me for the recipe. So as I started doing it, I started connecting with people and learning more that this could be a career. So that was pretty much my side hustle all the way through those two jobs until I was able to confidently be on my own. And 
um, sustain this as my job. Well, and that's, I want to ask Julie, I mean, I'm sure those cooking demos were some fancy cooking demos. Like I'm thinking of some I did and we did like the basics of cooking kale, (laughs) whereas yours are probably extra fancy. And I'm sure, you know, that supermarket was so happy to have you. I wouldn't say fancy, but I like to get people to think outside the box. Yeah. So instead of just always doing a demo of the smoothie, everyone knows how to put stuff in a blender. (laughs) I want to show people how to store and select things and maybe how it changes the cooking time potentially if you're using canned or frozen versus fresh. Um, I'm a big component of seeing and believing. So if you see how it's made, how easy it is, and then you taste it, it connects the dots more instead of just, here's a recipe. Why don't you try it? But a lot of people are intimidated about either cooking, um, maybe ingredients, or they don't want to try something new. Cause what if they don't like it? I don't blame them. I don't want to waste my money purchasing stuff. And then you don't like the outcome. So having that taste test component is really helpful. No, definitely. And you know what, that actually, it brings up one of the questions I had was if you're someone who lacks confidence in the kitchen or is starting from zero, are there a few techniques or, um, meal preparations you think every cook should learn first or have in their back pocket? Totally. So I always go back to the basics with everyone when they're asking me about their cooking skills. So When I teach a class, in-person class, when it's hands-on, I always ask everyone to rank themselves from one to 10. One meaning that you don't even know how to hold a knife and 10 meaning you just won the episode at season of Top Chef. (laughs) So I kind of, that kind of gauges me. But basics meaning knife skills, basic cooking techniques. Surprisingly, a lot of people don't know how to roast vegetables properly and they're not coming out delicious. So they're resistant to eating those vegetables. Um, So I think building the confidence in starting small and starting with maybe one component. So a lot of times when people are new to now preparing more foods, you can't expect them to go zero to 100. So maybe dinner has a lot of prepared components, but one is a cook component. So you're buying the rotisserie chicken. You're buying um, the steamable bag of rice or quinoa, whatever it is. But you're taking the time to learn the roasting technique of those vegetables. So that's the cook component. So it's starting a small and building up to it. And the more you cook at home, the more efficient you're going to be. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So now we need to know what's the best way to roast our vegetables. So (laughs) a lot of times people have a baking sheet and they just dump their vegetables on it. And they just go like this with the oil. Typically number one, it's overcrowded in the pan. And when it's overcrowded, you're steaming it instead of roasting it because the air can't really circulate. But also number two, we're not really coating everything evenly with the oil, either it's too much or some pieces are bone dry. So I like to put everything in a big bowl, do like one or two tablespoons of olive oil, toss it. And it really helps, especially with like broccoli, cauliflower, gets into all those little nooks and crannies, put your seasonings on it, toss it again, then put it on your baking sheet. 
Yeah. And you, and, you know, what? I think you save a lot of olive oil to doing it that way because mm-hmm. when you're just drizzling on top, I know for the times I've done it, it's like, it's just all over the pan. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. And then it's messier. And then I'm all about like saving energy in the kitchen too. I'm putting down that piece of parchment paper or that foil mm-hmm. so I can easily clean up after because I'm all about less dishes, one pot meals, the whole goal is to make cooking easy and accessible to everyone and not needing fancy equipment for everything or fancy techniques because most people are coming home after a long day and they need like 20 minutes to get food on the table. So how can we do that? Yeah. And I know it's different for different kinds of vegetables, but can you run us through like some times and temps for roasting veggies? Yeah. So usually it's about like 400 to 425. You do want a higher heat temperature. And depending on the vegetable, 20, 30 minutes could be up to 40, depending if it's like a really starchy root vegetable. And also depends on like how big or small you're cutting everything. But generally 400 to 425. And then you could really just keep an eye on it. And I love what I love about, I mean, putting anything in the oven is that it goes in the oven and I don't have to touch it. And then I will set timers because I have made that mistake. If I don't set a timer, things will burn, but Multitasking in the kitchen is actually really challenging for a lot of people. So timers are great, but I always like to say like when you're reading a recipe, this is not a mandate is a guide. So my Mm -hmm. oven might be a little hotter naturally in hot spots than your oven. So when it says to take them out in 20 minutes, check them. Don't just assume they're done, poke them, like taste them. And when you're roasting, you should be flipping them halfway through at least because then whatever is touching the pan, that's when it gets that's what's getting nice and caramelized and giving you that extra layer of flavor. Yeah. That extra sweetness. I think tonight we're going to be roasting some carrots and that's why I love it. Cause mm. it, like it brings out all this sweetness and I love using them too when they're cold, like in a cold salad or something like that. Do you have any other Julie, like quick, I love ro- the roasting vegetables idea, but any other go-to meal preparations you think everyone should know? Yeah. So I typically, my meal prep is not like prepping the whole meal. I prep components because I don't know about you, but those picture perfect Pinterest posts of like the meals in container, they look pretty. (laughs) I'm not doing that on a Sunday or weekend, whatever. And also I don't want to eat the same thing every day for a whole week. So my philosophy is like more components. So I will always have a whole grain cooked for the week. And that whole grain will be like, say I'm batch cooking quinoa. Like I have quinoa this week. I stirred some into my oatmeal this morning. I could throw it into soup. I can add it on a salad. I can make it in a stir fry. So that one batch of quinoa, now I don't have to cook every single time I want quinoa that I can just incorporate wherever I want to. Yeah, no, that's great. We actually, we did black rice recently and it was like the best just to throw in things. But I think something that I see a lot with clients is sometimes when they also get in the habit of meal prepping, which is great, they're in the habit of prepping the same things every week, mm-hmm. which means, yes, you can get creative with each day, like, you know, wrapping it in a taco and then putting it on a salad, but it gets boring, boring after a while. And then you get discouraged to do it again. So make sure, you know, Julie's telling you all different <laughs> types of grains you can cook 
switch it up each week. You know, if you really loved the week before, sure, make it all again, but then try to switch it up so you don't get that fatigue. And I guess, you know, what would be your best tips really for people or clients that you get that are having kind of like cooking fatigue and not maybe not having as much fun in the kitchen or things aren't, um, you know, inspiring to eat during the week. So even if you're not comfortable, like really cooking a lot, but then you're starting to get that fatigue, like if roasting vegetables is your max cooking component, that's totally fine. But start switching flavor profiles, go for different regions of spice blends Mm -hmm. because it's the same thing, but now your, your taste buds are getting a wow factor. You're not just doing the garlic powder and like salt. You're doing maybe like a Mediterranean um, blend or a Greek blend or an Indian blend that can be on those vegetables. So adding different spice and flavors from different regions is a way to really switch things up. But then I also suggest shopping in season because that can be just a natural way. Each season, you're kind of switching up what you're eating. Yeah. You don't, you don't have a choice at that point, Yeah, but I'm so glad you brought up the flavor factor because that's one component, especially when I see people meal prepping that they're not thinking about, they're just thinking about, which is good. You want to like, okay, what's my protein? Um, what's my complex carbohydrate or what's my grain for this week? What are my vegetables? But there's that flavor factor. Like what is the theme, you know? And that's something that can, like you said, it just, it changes the whole meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like when people are meal prepping, they're maybe just doing like grilled chicken, steamed broccoli, brown rice. If I ate that every day, I'd be so bored. So how can you amp up those flavors? Yeah, sure. You can do chicken, brown rice and broccoli, but maybe you're doing a combination where it's more of like a casserole or yeah. you turn that into a soup or you're adding new flavors and seasoning blends on those three components. I think a lot of times too, it's that people think everything's segmented, but things can be combined into a dish. Yeah. And making delicious sauces. Yes. Like sauces we'll love, are huge. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, it can be really simple. Like we have this one sauce I love. Um, it's just a parsley sauce that I learned in Italy and it's just olive oil, garlic, lemon, parsley. And you actually put an ice cube for texture, mm-hmm. but it's the, it, is the most delicious thing. It adds so much to a meal, whether like we're doing steak or chicken or putting it on your eggs Mm -hmm. or spreading it on. Like if you're making a sandwich, just spreading that little bit on. And it's a great way too, if you find that you're always buying herbs and maybe you're not storing them as properly by putting (laughs) them in some water and they always go bad, or you are putting them in water, but you just never seem to use them. It's another great way to use them. Totally. And the sauces too. I was just teaching a class on how to properly um, sear scallops. And like after you cook anything in the pan, you can create a nice pan sauce. It's very Mm -hmm. easy. So my pan sauce was I added a little garlic, some lemon juice and broth. And that was my sauce. Like very so delicious. Yeah. It was amazing. So it's like cooking in that same pan. You don't need extra equipment or anything to make a sauce, but it's now adding a layer of flavor onto those scallops, which are delicious by itself too. But again, you're adding that flavor. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, what would you say, Julie, kind of bringing the nutrition factor into it? Are there any favorite um, healthy swaps for cooking or baking that you like to use with your clients? I call them lateral shifts. So it's taking what you know and like and start 
integrating some other ingredients that maybe is going to be a quote unquote healthier. There's nothing that is not healthy per se, but you're maybe adding more fiber or um, more vitamins and minerals within that dish. So for instance, um, one recipe that I make a lot is a lentil beef combination bolognese sauce Mm -hmm. because you're cutting back on half the beef, which beef again, really great for you, a lean, high quality protein, but it's a way to integrate more plants. If lentils is not something you typically eat, how can we incorporate that? And now it's in a dish. You're not just eating them plain. Yeah. So that has a lot of extra veggies in there too. And it mimics the same texture. So whenever you're substituting or swapping completely, you want to make sure that if you're going for a certain recipe or flavor or texture, it will be mimicking the same thing. I think a lot of times people go these one-to-one swaps, but they're not really thinking about the food science part of it. So it's either going to be dry or dense or crumbly, um, especially when it comes to baking and swapping out all those different flowers. Yeah. That you have to be like very scientific about, (laughs) um, any other. So I love that the lentils in your bolognese, or, you know, I've seen some people make like a lentil burger, but again, like you said, the combination of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw one actually on the kitchen. Katie was making it and it looked delicious. But any other good, you know, substitutes or healthy swaps or just ways to add more nutrition to your meal? One of my most popular recipes on my website is this confetti turkey burger. I call it confetti because you see little specks of color throughout it, but it's the same thing of like just adding, we're talking about adding and not focusing on taking away. So turkey burgers or chicken burgers, whatever poultry that you're using typically will dry out because there's no fat in there. There's a very minimal fat. So I was looking to add moisture, but you're also getting that boost of vegetables. So I chop up onions, um, peppers and spinach, and I add a little bit of feta cheese. The key is chopping it really, really fine. So as that burger as that burger cooks, the moisture is being released and keeping it really tender. So it's not going to be dried out. But again, it's like adding, focusing on what we're adding, not what we're taking away. And now that one pound of ground turkey or ground chicken can be instead of four servings and now six or eight servings, depending on baking your burgers. Yeah, no, that's great. And you know what I love too, the technique of I have some people that just hate to chop. They don't like cooking. They hate chopping things. They hate taking the time to do it. But you can always use your food processor or your blender and just pulse it a little bit. And I would say even, you know, do your onions and peppers for the week, like a combination of them, just keep them in the fridge. And then, right. You want to make your turkey burgers. You put a dollop in there, you put some in your eggs and it's easy ways like that to get in more vegetables because not only do we want to eat more vegetables, but we want to get a variety to support our gut health and our microbiome. So that's an easy way too, is use those you know, use your food processor that you can pop in your dishwasher. If you have one, I lived without a dishwasher for a very long time (laughs) up until this year. So I feel the pain if you don't have one, but that's a great way too, is like to pre-chop things where you don't have to do the chopping, Mm -hmm. just let your tools do the chopping. Do you have any favorite tools or techniques like that, that you use? I love my food processor for that reason. Um, also too, I'll like buy a whole block of cheese. I typically buy the block versus the pre-shredded and I'll do that same thing. Um, but again, when you're cooking, try to think ahead, how else are you going to use this onion? So have them already ready to go and you can easily freeze them. 
we're always looking for convenience. So you could either pay a little extra and have it pre-chopped for you, or instead of the recipe that has half an onion and then that onion, the other half goes to die in your fridge somewhere, you could just ready have it chopped and then save it for another reason to use it. Yeah. And you're more likely to use it. You're more likely to throw veggies in your eggs if they're ready to go. go. So Um, same thing with like broccoli too. I always like when I was a retail dietitian, I always recommended anyone who bought a crown of broccoli that had the plastic and the rubber band around it. When you take it home, wash it, trim off those florets, save that stem if it has one, but what's going to be easier that those florets on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week to get into the oven or the ones that are already that are in the plastic wrap already still, then you're having to do all that work from the beginning again. Totally. And if you're still, you know, if people are still giving resistance to even cutting up the broccoli, because I will say the, the prepared stuff and prepared, you know, chopped things are pretty expensive. I mean, they're significantly more, but we go to the freezer section. Like we are big frozen veggie people over here. Like even brought, we were just talking about broccoli. We have a huge bag right now of broccoli. Always in my freezer. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yes. When we roast broccoli, does it take a lot longer? Yes. But you just plan ahead. And sometimes I will say sometimes texture can be a little bit different when you cook it, but it never goes bad. I can buy the organic version cheaper than I could the regular version fresh. And it's most likely more nutritious because it was, you know, picked at peak freshness and ripeness bagged up and now it's good to go. So I'm curious, Julia, how you feel about frozen veggies. Oh, I love frozen veggies and and fruits too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's always a stockpile in my freezer because also even when I have fresh and then, um, I don't use it all or it's starting to turn, I'll put it in the freezer. So uh, there's always stuff in my freezer ready to go. I think the thing with frozen vegetables, especially is the texture. Mm-hmm. Don't always rely on the package of just steaming it in the bag or throwing in your microwave. You can get some really great flavors and textures by cooking it stovetop. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's, I never had roasted our broccoli from frozen until I saw a recipe for it. And I realized doing it that way, yes, it takes time, but it's just as delicious, if not more, because I will say sometimes I was like, eh, you know, like I'm not a big, like steamable bag person, or, um, we usually will do stuff on the cooktop, but I think you can get great flavors or adding to soups and stuff where there's already a lot of moisture in it can get great flavors out of frozen. And now like so many people have air fryers. Yes. Throw it in the air fryer. (laughs) We love our air fryer. (laughs) I know the air fryer is magic. I don't know what my husband would do without the air fryer. It's like his best. I know like for a quick vegetable on the side, I'll take frozen broccoli, put a little bit of Parmesan cheese on it. Air fryer done. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, Do you have Julie on your website, like different easy recipes like that? Like just like some basics, like putting veggies in the air fryer or your roast, you know, your roasted vegetables recipe. Yeah. So I have some recipes on my website and then also the other business that I co-own, we do a lot of education when it comes to culinary nutrition. So a lot of those courses, it's, it's that material of those quick and simple ideas to get food on the table. 
I love that. And that's your culinary nutrition studio, correct? Yes. So that is a second business now. Again, it's like, you never know where life's going to take you. Um, But that's more geared towards health professionals. But for anyone listening to, it's for anyone. It's basically learning the basic culinary skills. It's your shortcut going through culinary school, pretty much. I love that. Um, I'm curious, do you, are there any favorite recipes besides your Turkey burger one that your clients love and use over and over again? My one chili recipe because it's so easy, (laughs) but it's so flavorful. Um, I have a bruschetta chicken one that a lot of people like, Oh my, it's funny when like my friends, siblings or their friends that I don't really know that well, they'll like send a picture, be like, your friend's recipe is great. Someone just made my um, Greek meatballs and I made it into like a pita. Ooh, that sounds yeah. really good. Actually, Greek meatballs may be on the list for this week now. But then even simple ones like roasted chickpeas. Like yeah. People don't really think to do that as meal prep or like a snack or something, but I like to add those instead of like croutons on a salad oh or so just good. part of a trail mix or just on their own. A Caesar salad with roasted chickpeas. Oh, so I've been on a Caesar for. salad kick <laughs> yeah, recently. I don't well, know. That's, I was just going to ask you, Julie, because uh, for everyone <laughs> listening, Julie is due this June with her first baby. And I'm curious, have you already started to think about, so we are in the phase right now with Connor where he just started trying foods. It's real. It's actually probably one of the most fun parts of <laughs> this whole process, but I'm curious, have you, have you already started to think about things you're going to make your baby or, you know, any tips that you've maybe even learned with clients and helping their kids? Yeah. So I find it really fascinating and I'm really excited to now have this, do it myself. Um, but I definitely want to try making some food myself. I have, um, like the tools and techniques to know how to do it. I don't know after the baby is here, how much energy I'll actually have to do it, (laughs) but we'll see. Um, the one strategy that I do want to implement when the baby starts eating, I'm always saying the baby, because we don't know the gender yet. Um, we're waiting to find out, but is to introduce vegetables first, potentially, or less sweet mm-hmm. um, foods, because by introducing fruits first, um, potentially they're, I've been doing a lot of research on this too, is that they're more prone to that sweet taste. So now introducing a vegetable, like a green bean or something like that might be harsh, or they might not be, maybe a little bit more resistant to it. Yeah. Just like adults, right? Yeah. I mean, when we get more sweet, yeah, there's actually, I don't know if you've read Julie, um, super nutrition for babies. Mm-mm. That's a really good one. It talks more about like the nutrition side of it. So like with Connor, which we only started because he like dove for my plate one day, we were planning to wait till he was six months, but, um, we started with egg yolks, which was a huge hit. And also brings a lot of nutrition to the table as well. Um, but yeah, we were the same way. I think the first sweet thing, the first two sweet things he really got was sweet potatoes and blueberries. And I was right there with you thinking, I want to wait till six months because I don't know if I have the energy to start making all these things, but they eat such a small amount. It's like, you have to pop one sweet potato in the oven, (laughs) set that timer, let it cook for an hour and a half. And you're done, you know, blueberries, we popped them in the microwave 
and then pureed them and made a little blueberry sauce. Like it actually doesn't take that long. You make a four minute egg for that egg yolk. So you'll be right there because I was the same way. I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to start preparing all these foods. And it's so much. And it's, it's really not They eat like a couple spoonfuls. And then you can that's freeze what my them. Friend keep telling me like, prepare, like have in mind what you want to introduce and then incorporate it into what you're eating that week. So then you can just set some aside. I do have a question for you. And this is a personal question with preparing for him. I do want to try liver with him just to get, I mean, it's probably the most nutrient dense food on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that babies are fine with the taste and it can get them a lot of iron, et cetera. So I wanted to try that, but do you have any cooking tips for before I puree the liver because I've never cooked liver. Hmm. So the way I like liver is this one restaurant that like pan (laughs) fries it with great seasoning. So I wouldn't really go that route, but I would maybe instead of just like, I would add some form of like heat, like a caramelization or something before it's pureed versus just like a bake or a steam. Yeah. That's I've heard to pan sear it is good. Um, and I would like to introduce it alone and then eventually make little meals out of it. Like put a little roasted carrot into the puree Mm -hmm. or sweet potato and some vegetables. We'll see. I mean, right. You have all these plans with kids and you'll learn Julie. It's they call the shots. Yeah, they call the shots. So we'll see if the liver even goes well. Um, but organ but, meats are, are really nutrient dense and yeah. they're not in our culture. It's really not part of, um, what we typically eat, but in other cultures, it's like a mainstay. So, well, and they're, a, they're a delicacy in a lot of mm-hmm. other cultures. And it's so interesting because I just, when I went to whole foods, they were actually out of liver um, someone had just bought all the liver. Like, that's very interesting. I was like, maybe they have a baby too. Um, or they're postpartum, but there were chicken hearts and chicken livers. And I think all these, you know, different parts that we don't tend to eat and the organ meats, but they're delicacies in other countries and expensive, but here they are so cheap. Mm-hmm. So if you're also looking for a really affordable way to get in more nutrition and even with liver, you can mix that into like a meatloaf recipe. You can hide it in things if exactly. you don't love the flavor. But I mean, from what I saw, I didn't, I wanted to say it was like two pounds and it was $8. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that'll stretch a long way because all you need is like a little bit of liver and it goes a long way. Totally. And it freezes well because like meats freeze well. So even if you cook it and have it ready to go, like especially for baby stuff, I was working with a, a new mom of she was really wanting to make all of her own food. And I thought that was great. But it was like, again, how can we make this in advance? And some of the pureed meats and stuff we were putting in the silicone um ice cube trays. Yeah. And then freezing them and then just popping them out and then in the resealable bag and you're ready to go. That's why I just bought some of those this week. And it's really fun too. It's really fun to pack them. And that's why I'm hoping we're just still introducing like singular foods and Mm -hmm. not things combined unless they've already been introduced. But I want to start making like each little cube is a little meal in and of itself. And it is, it's not as it's not as task heavy or time heavy as you think it is, mm-hmm. but it's been a really, I mean, fun like journey. I'm preparing food for myself, so yeah. I'm going to have to get used to preparing for more members of the family, like as they get older. So exactly. And if you find like, we just preparing foods that we like. So then if he doesn't eat it or we can't freeze it and save it, we just eat it. 
And oh, then that's it's that another much better. topic that yeah. I talk to a lot of people about is like food bias is just because you don't like something, you should still introduce it to your children and have them form their own opinions and taste buds. There were certain foods that like, like my parents didn't know this, but like there are certain foods I was never exposed to growing <laughs> up. And I went to culinary school. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So like liver, I've never, I never eat liver, but yeah. going to culinary school, like it was introduced to me at first. I was like, taken aback, but then I was like really understanding about it and learning about other cultures and how they're using it. And I think that's really important because just because you don't like something doesn't mean your child might not like something. Yeah. I mean, if you look at food as more of a way to educate, Mm -hmm. it's really, it, it changes your perspective on how you feed your, not only your children, but yourself. Um, that's what I'm planning on trying to get Connor a bunch of like books that teach you about just how things are grown and the nutrition of it. And then see if he reacts to wanting certain things that, you know, we don't typically get or going to the farmer's market and trying that weird looking vegetable that you don't really know how to use. Yeah. Um, So like my kids classes, I always, so I do teach some cooking classes in a grocery store here in New Jersey. And Uh, when it's with kids, I get them to walk into the produce department and I said, find something you've never tried before. And we'll talk about it. They'll taste it. Or even I did a taste testing of like all different varieties of apples. Most kids are liking apples, but they've never tried a green apple or a golden delicious. And it's getting them thinking outside the box a little bit. Oh, Julie, your kid is so set. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just nervous because I eat peanut butter every day. And I'm just like, please no peanut allergy. (laughs) Oh, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. As long as, you know, once you introduce it, you'll see, but yeah, yeah, there's so many, there's so many fears, unfortunately that come out with today's day and age, but you will be fine. Okay. Julie, before I ask you some more personal questions about your wellness habits, any other specific cooking tips for our listeners that will add, that will boost the nutrition of your meal? Um, to boost the nutrition, always focus on what you can add versus what you're taking away. Or if you really like something, find another texture that's very similar that maybe you can scale back a little bit on. So again, those lateral shifts, someone who eats chips every day for lunch, you like crunch, maybe you like saltiness. So what if we're going to maybe try those roasted chickpeas alongside some of those chips? So at least you're cutting back and now you're adding some plant-based protein, some fiber, some nutrients in that way. So I I think it's it's not a complete take it away. Yeah. Yeah. It's not completely take it away. It's like anything, like let's slowly progress. I had one client doing one slice of whole wheat bread and one slice of white bread (laughs) on a sandwich for a year until it transitioned into all whole wheat bread. That's that's great. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, Okay. I'm curious and well now too, that you're, you know, you're pregnant as well, but do you have any daily health and wellness non-negotiables that are part of your routine and that you find really help support you? I've been really into a meditation app. And for me, meditation is really not, but it was hard for me to get into because my brain goes a mile a minute, but even five minutes where I just need to maybe shift and refocus has been really helpful for me. 
So I'll just pop it on at any time of the day. Or if I'm having trouble, like settling down for the night, cause I have so many things on my mind, I'll listen to a meditation app. I love that. Um, I have to ask Julie, what, what meditation app have you found you like, or if there are, so I use, um, insight timer okay. and also I use the Peloton app and they have some really great meditation. Yeah, no, that's great. Cause I always tell people you have to find like, there are some apps you'll vibe with and yes. some you won't like, I, found... and there's some voices that I like some oh, voices that I don't completely. <laughs> I mean, I am like, I don't know if you know, Gabby Bernstein, but I am, I love listening to her voice. Like I could listen to her all day long and I'm like you five to 10 minutes is kind of my max, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of trial and error. So for anyone that wants to start a meditation practice, know that it is a journey and try different things until you really feel connected to it. Definitely. Um, that I love was that like though. a new transition for me, especially with COVID. I think that started of the meditation. Cause I was getting stir crazy. You don't really see anyone like life changed a lot during COVID. So that's when meditation really started helping me. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, okay, Julie, where can we talk about your culinary nutrition studio, but where can people find you connect with you, um, and just learn more on social media. You'll find me at chef Julie underscore RD. And my website is just my name, Julie Harrington, RD.com. Um, and then culinary nutrition studio is our other business that, um, it's offering more cooking skills and techniques to really learn instead of just the recipes that I have on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for coming on the show. Um, I do have a quick rapid fire Q and a for you. First thing that comes to mind. (laughs) Okay. What is your favorite home cooked meal? See, I didn't do it rapid. So (laughs) right now, uh, my husband goes through like, like phases where he really likes something and we make it maybe every week for like three weeks and then we're done with it. But right now it's shrimp pad thai. Ooh, that sounds really good. There's that flavor factor. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, we, this, and this may be what we just talked about, but your favorite de-stressing practice or tool. Um, obviously the meditation is helpful, but I also love taking my dog for a walk. I always pop in a podcast and that is a way to kind of just be in the moment with my dog and it's like space away from everybody else or anything. And I typically like to listen to podcasts that are just like fun and light and not necessarily work related because sometimes I feel like I'm always working. (laughs) So taking a step back now. It helps you get out of your own head. That's what I always find. I love doing a podcast while I walk. Um, Coffee or tea? Love coffee, but I stopped drinking coffee since becoming pregnant. I know you can have a little bit, but I feel like this first pregnancy, I'm like, buy the book for everything. (laughs) Um, But I love coffee. I do like tea though, too. So have have you just been drinking no substitute? No. Okay. It was hard. It was a hard transition. (laughs) Well, Julie, thanks again, everyone. Make sure you go check out Julie and the culinary nutrition studio and let us know if you have any questions for her. Thanks for having me. Let's take Julie's simple tip of adding more plant-based foods to one meal. Pick a meal on your day that is often lacking vegetables and rather than completely substituting it for something else, just add it to your plate. 
Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.